Welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, uh, episode 220, oh shoot, I'm in blocking the episode here, 223, 243, I don't know, it's one of those things, 243, how's everybody? It's a number. <laughs> we got uh, Stabby McStabberson with us tonight. Thanks for joining us, bud. Yeah, it's been a while, man. We, we've been busy. It's been a while since our paths have crossed. Nice. And then we also got uh, Mr. Green Jeans. Hey. Oh, Mr. Green Jeans Garden. Sorry. Got to make sure glad, I get the full. Glad to be here. Glad to see you guys again. Yeah, man. Well, excited to talk to you about what you've been up to and to talk to you about some of your, your strains from before. And then I actually managed to get a hold of some, some 1997 uh, um, uh, Oh, I got to go back and look. I think it's Maui Wowie crossed with um, uh, one of your very old cuts of cherry bomb. So I'm super stoked to get some of those back to you as well. Yeah. Thanks to, uh, I'll have to double check my Insta on the person that was sending those. Uh, at a, someone from Instagram uh, found me, found those in a, in a collection and, uh, and reached out to me. So very, very appreciative of you for that. Um, so uh, thanks a lot, uh, everybody, for joining us tonight. For the oh, and Marty as well. How's it going, Marty? Hey. Sorry, <laughs> you're good. Uh, Marty and I also teach the the APMJclass.com. We have a full uh, seven day recorded online class. Uh, it's a uh, quite in depth now. It's growing in length every month. Um, we have new content all the time. We have um, this Sunday coming up is the next live session at noon Pacific. So we'll see you guys there if you're one of the students. And uh, we go over kind of any of the questions the students have, and then we answer them kind of in a presentation format or, or walk people through stuff. Or sometimes people will post pictures of their grows uh, and, and it gives kind of people a chance to see, you know, what other people are doing and, and some other different grow scales other than just, you know, kind of the stuff that we cover. So it's kind of a fun, fun thing. And then we have uh, all different types of in-depth information. In fact, I'll let Marty tell you about it because he's done a lot of editing on stuff lately. Yeah, so we, we just finished posting um, the KNF uh, section where we go over a lot of, you know, how to make your own nutrients, but um, I think we're in the four, 400s on slides that are already up, um, and we have another 200 or so still left to go up, uh, so there's still, still a lot to do, and then like Steve was saying, live classes are great. Um, to be able to do that, you can submit your questions and we can answer them if you can't come to the live session. Um, people walk through their grows with their video on and ask questions about plants that they have. So it's a great opportunity for coaching um, specifically about your grow as opposed to, you know, just questions. And, um, and you know, usually it runs, I think the last one was almost in the, what, a little over an hour, I think. Um, so, you know, we definitely just hang out and answer questions until people are done. And you know, it's, uh, it's been a great addition to the class to just be able to have the opportunity for us to get to talk to students, answer direct questions, find out what, the, what kind of content uh, they want added to the class or what content to put up next. Um, 
So all of that's been great feedback to have, and uh, so the live sessions have been been great for that. So um, we have, you know, the stuff that's already up. We have, uh, you know, IPM and beneficial insects. Um, we do have more to go up on that, but Steve has put up uh, a bunch of example pictures uh, to help you diagnose and, and understand um, the differences between, you know, some of the common things like different types of thrips or uh, aphids in different stages or different stages of infection or viral stuff. Did, I'm pretty sure you put up some of your viral pictures, Steve. Uh, so there's uh, some of that too. So if you're starting to uh, get stumped by plants that you think, you know, nutrient-wise are good and um, uh, you think that your IPM is uh, intact, uh, but you might be dealing with a viral issue. Uh, that might be something you haven't dealt with yet in cannabis, and so it can be great to have a resource uh, for that. So, yeah, we cover, of... we cover a really wide range of topics, including different diseases, early detection of diseases, um, nutrient diagnosing, system design, um, advanced aquaponics, like with uh, mushroom CO2. In fact, I just saw there's a new farm. Uh, I, we got to get them on the show. I believe they're called South River Aquaponics or something like that. They're out in the western slope of Colorado. They're doing um, kind of a, a more flushed out model of what we are indeed uh, 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 over at Turtle Island, um, where they have very large scale uh, oyster mushroom production feeding CO2 to a um, aquaponics uh, facility. So um, definitely something to check out. And we have, you know, tons of individual classes and segments. Um, you know, some of them are longer, some of them are shorter. Uh, you can kind of go through the class on topics. If you want to search something out and just check that out, you can. If you want to take it in a, in a long format that's, you know, kind of start to finish, you can. So it really kind of gives you uh, a wide range of different um, topics to choose from. We have over 650 slides in the deck and, and uh, a ton of video guides on top of that uh, and a whole bunch of other cool content that's built into it and then tons of cool tools and things like that as well to make it easy for you to grow at home so definitely check that out we're adding more content to that and then um uh yeah all kinds of cool stuff the other thing i wanted to mention too if you guys aren't aware is um we do have the second annual um aquaponic um uh, conference uh, aquaponic cannabis conference which will be held the second weekend of november so definitely be sure to check that out as well um, we're super excited about that we have a huge list of super cool speakers that are going to be speaking at that this year we're going to be starting to announce those uh, a little bit later on i just want to finish filling out the full roster before we start making the announcements but we have some really cool people speaking on some super cool topics in fact there's a, a particularly cool uh, talk that's going to be going on on microbes I think people uh, and and you know kind of using genomic analysis for microbials and, and looking at microbial populations from a genomic level that's going to be super freaking awesome so a really really cool lineup and cool talks and a lot of stuff that i think people haven't covered yet in, in other spaces so really excited about that as well and we've been working hard to get that happening so uh, i guess without further ado um uh, oh uh, we almost lost, uh, forgot uh, apmjnutes.com if you need your uh, nutrients for your system that are fish safe for your cannabis all right um check that out over uh yeah um so uh how you doing stabby what have you been up to i know you got a are you working with a, a smaller grow up in um northern oklahoma what, what else you been up to lately what, what you got going on um i've been doing a little bit of the dual root zone system in uh in the home grow but 
I've got pretty much everything chopped down right now. I'm about to uh, go ahead and uh, tear the whole room apart and redo it. Just, you know, just I'm going to be expanding things a little bit, uh, like adding on a, a dedicated veg space, because as it is right now, my veg space for the home grow is just a three by three, right? So it's, it's efficient sure but it's a pain in the ass because the three by three tent is inside the flower room and i gotta go in there and open and close the stupid thing every day so i'm gonna go ahead and get rid of that delete that and uh add a little dedicated uh you know man cave slash dab station slash uh veg space i got a ac infinity tent for it one of those uh five by fives I like their products. They've, they've uh, been pretty good. I've been using their fans for, for years now. Um, they've always held up well for me. Uh, as long as you don't get the Rack Seal series, those things are junk. Because I had one of those for a few months and it just totally crapped out on me. And it was, it was like still brand new. Um, but the, the Cloudline series fans are pretty nice for like the, the home grower. You know, if you're not you know, shopping for industrial stuff, like, you know, what you might be setting up, Steve, um, at the commercial level. Um, but as far as, uh, I actually had some questions for you at, while you were talking, like, what's one of the most common diseases that you see when you're doing consulting? And like, what, what's the what's your usual recommended recommendation for treating it so i would say the most common thing i see across the board in terms of the number of of like where i found at least one plant uh hands down every powdery mildew um and then uh as far as outdoor plants go um it's definitely i, I would say 2019 100 percent was septoria for sure um and then uh, what else? Um, uh, trying to think what else. After that, it's like spider mites. And then it's kind of regional after that. Um, you know, the, the next thing that comes to mind would be like, Oklahoma seems to be root aphids. They seem to get root aphids and septoria uh, pretty regularly. Powdery mildew seems to be around, but not quite as bad as it was in say in some, some other parts of the country I've, I've had a chance yeah. to experience. So, we, we had our, our battles with powdery mildew at our location because we were like located right next to a lake. So there was a lot of humidity and with all the heat there and it, it was just, it was an environment for disaster. And uh, we just had to really uh, be mindful of our air movement and, you know, like where we were having plants flowering at and, you know, how we could treat them in the, in the more problematic areas of the grow you know like okay well you know if, if in back here we're not getting enough airflow back here and even though we've added like air movers and fans and stuff like that we're still not getting enough airflow back here well we're we're not going to flower plants over here anymore you know we're going to keep them in veg and we can treat them that way and keep them clean a lot of it's just you know comes down to design and the airflow setup and yeah. the, the challenges of, of scaling up of going from 
you know, the uh, maybe the gray market, let's say, to the uh, professional market and just taking on everything. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it can be a lot for sure. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to d describe it without, you know, getting getting heated or getting emotional over, over all the uh, the battles I've been through over the past couple of years. So what uh, what have you found to be the, or maybe that's another question for Mr. Green Jeans, you've grown over the years. What have you seen that's been kind of an issue? And, and Marty too, you, you've grown quite a bit, but um, uh, Mr. Green Jeans, what, what have you seen be the kind of the most common issue? I think you listed them all pretty much in the right order. I don't know much about uh, septoria, but I mean, you know, clearly powdery mildew indoors, you know, uh, even outdoors. I mean, in, in a lot of places, um, spider mites, you know, <laughs> are are the bane of, you know, indoor growers existence, of course. So not yeah. so much of a problem outdoors because I guess they're pretty tasty. Yeah. <laughs> so there's I'm, probably a lot of predators. They're a repeat there. offender in my grow. Man, I really? think that I've got them eradicated, right? And like, I will tear everything out of there. I will start from scratch with my soil and everything. And everything will be looking perfect. Like, it will be 10 out of 10. And I'll hit like week four of flower. And I'll see those little freaking white uh, stippling marks on the leaves. And I'm like, these motherfuckers are back. Where did they even come from? Right. It's like, oh, yeah. No, you need therapy with spider mites. I mean, you know, they they, they, they literally, <clears throat> they really know how to get you. I mean, they get, they get, they get right to your, they get right to your soul. You know what I mean? They, they hurt more than, than physically, than just physically hurting your plants. And like all of them in a different way too. You know, yeah. You have russets, you yeah. know, which are obviously just horrible on almost every account. And <clears throat> You know, like by the time you even see them, it's usually too fucking late to yes. say fat plant, let alone the rest of your plants. And, uh, you know, you got your normal, just average uh, two spotted mite, which is like just seems to somehow materialize out of thin air in a vacuum sealed room. Yeah, yeah dude, they like they like just teleport in from another freaking dimension. It's like, where did you even come from? And it's not like they're difficult to kill. Like you can, you know, there's a number of different things that are effective spray against them, unlike russets, which you know, like I feel like they like down there, like yeah. bench pressing well, when it comes to oil, spider mites, like, you, even you know, just like, physical removal can do a real number on them. You know, just yeah. peel all those yeah. affected leaves off, and you know, wipe down your your leaves that don't even look affected, just to make sure that you're getting the eggs and stuff, or, or right. you know, use some. Yeah, and then you have rot mites. You can just mites, I feel like they will just take over faster than anything I've ever seen. Like, I, I feel like you just come in and all of a sudden one day this whole fucking bud is just covered in webs and these yeah. like hundreds of little orange rod mites. Like, it's just insane how fast they spread. Even even versus other spider mite species, I feel like they will they'll take over faster. And they're like. Most of the time when you see like the really horrific looking spider mite infections on buds where they're just like completely webbed up, like that's usually broad mites. And it, it just happens so fast. And it, it, yeah, they, they suck in there. They all suck in their own way. <laughs> For sure. 
Somebody has to have a T-shirt. Spider might suck. You know, it probably yeah. yeah, like, value of It's true. They do suck. You know. I like what Guru from uh, Dude Grows has to say about him. He's like, they're the bane on existence. There's no purpose for them. <laughs> they they blow bugs out of the water because they're not really. You know, they. I mean, they're not insects. You know, right? They're they're. You know, so they, 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 I think, you know, what the number of the number of uh, different species that a spider mite can feed on, like totally dwarfs the next uh, beetle, you know, or insect. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I think one of the crop beetles can eat 50 something different kinds, 58 different kinds of plants or something. And spider mites, I think a lot of the species can, you know, can feed on more than 100 species of plants or whatever. You know what I mean? They're. And this is why they laugh when we throw chemicals at them. They're like, we specialize in, you know, what I mean? it's like, they don't care, you know, hey, we'll eat that stuff. Hey, that tastes pretty good. And malathion, that's not too bad. <laughs> They're scary. And that, that's why you need, that's why you need therapies because yeah, that, that, that kind of attitude, you know, that, that attitude is really what, and and as Marty says, they all they all do have a different flavor to them. They have different style. You get judo flipped in different ways by the different types of spider mites. But um, but I gotta say, um, <clears throat> this last time I bought the at Steve's uh, recommendation, I bought the persimilis, and they're still they must be still in there, you know, because my my room and my closet and everything's pretty open. I mean, the mites can pretty much walk in from the backyard if they want. And so there must be there must be a popular a balance of the persimilis or whatever in there. They're, they must have you know struck a balance. And I haven't you know occasionally I see a little bit of damage, and that's how I know they, they must be still there. You know what I mean? But they're not. But right. they're not. They're not messing with me now. Now they're. Yeah, you know. persimilis. As long as you keep your humidity up. Yeah. Uh, you know they must will reproduce be. pretty yeah. well more more so than other. They reproduce faster. Species. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So if you can, were, you can keep it up in, you know, like the 70% humidity range. Yep. Uh, if you get much below that, their reproduction slows down, from what I understand. They were apparently able to even down. I mean, other species of, of predator mites that I've tried before, uh, I had, you know, had to, you know, wipe them. I had to either, you know, give the plants big water, water bath beforehand to make sure to wash off most of the predators you know but the persimilis seem to be able to practically knock them down i mean they 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 apparently uh you know bred they so can, fast you know right they can compete on on they reproduction cycles right yep and yep. actually start start winning instead of just control want, yeah. you know, but like a, it, it really depends on your your temperature and humidity absolutely um, you know, like they gotta I, be happy whatever you're where sometimes you know you don't have ultimate control over those if you do then great that's awesome you can set it to what you want you can buy the best predators and establish a population and that's great but if you are just like you know using an exhaust fan and you know yeah. it'll be harder to establish a population if like you're saying mites are just going to walk in from the backyard because you don't have a sealed room you know like i grow up in my shop yeah. you know yep. so it's it's closed up but you know yeah. we have dogs and kids and relatively cats. open sure. yeah you know like they'll they'll yeah you know not come in and out of the grow room but around the shop and then yep. I, I go in and out so you know yes. how, how those oh, things oh you can manage to keep your kids out of your grow 
That'd be nice. Not the kids, the dogs and the cats. <laughs> but the kids really have to feed the fish. They get really mad if I do it. Yeah, my uh, my second littlest one. He loves the the flowers. He loves flowers. <laughs> like all plants like he will right. stop and smell a blade of grass dude like he, he just loves plants in that's general cool. so like that's awesome like dad's got a garden like dad's got a green place year round right where he can like even when it's cold and snowy out he can go inside the nice warm grow room and like i'll i'll put like uh like over the winter i'll grow tomato plants for him and stuff so that he can actually you know interact with the plants and without uh mom being like oh hey why why does he smell like weed or anything like Like, i don't want the kid messing with the cannabis plant so i'll 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 grow tomatoes and stuff for him and he just he loves it to death that's cool we're talking about spider mite treatments this is kind of the the opening shot that I like to use, um, I just started using it recently and it's, it does a pretty good job. Um, it's called Villafer and uh, you can check that out here. Um, it's by BASF, which, you know, whatever on their, you know, history of other shit, but um, it does work on uh, two-spotted spider mites. But the cool thing about it is it's a Bavaria bassiana strain that happens to oh. also attack spider mites. And I haven't, seen this before except for this one product so um you know i've never seen this strain up until recently so i think it's a newer product i i I might be wrong but as far as i'm aware it's a newer product um that they put out recently uh, and it's kind of a a great way to kind of if you want to carpet bomb the place after you order your beneficial mites while you're waiting for it to get there it's definitely a great option and you know hey you're going to knock back the aphids and the white flies and the thrips and everything else in the room um, there isn't a whole lot of stuff that works on both soft-bodied and mites that's, you know, still ethical to use, in my opinion, in terms of probiotics and microbials. So this is right. uh, definitely a... a we, were, we were talking about your common targets. I mean, right there, they got a list of them. White flies, aphids, thrips, spider mites. I mean, all of those things. I mean, I'm not even sure if any of us mentioned white flies, but you, you'll definitely encounter them or fungus gnats can be really frustrating to deal with at times also you know, yeah fungus gnats be- definitely be uh, probably the other one that i see quite a bit and you know how i find them it's not oftentimes they'll, they'll be in relatively low populations but i'll find them because i'll go to where the fans are and i can find the ground up ones on top of their buds right <laughs> well most people you should definitely always just have like yellow sticky traps out in my opinion oh, yeah. even if you feel like it's clean you know, that'll be a good indication right away to tell you when you're not for your different flying insects, your white flies, fungus gnats, uh, you know, for sure we'll, you'll be able to identify them or, or even, um, you know, if you have uh, winged aphids, another one that will get stuck on there pretty readily so that you can identify them and know you need to go find their source and start treating them as soon as possible. Yeah, in fact, we're just yeah. starting the root aphids outbreak in in uh, Oklahoma. I'm just seeing the first ones on on Facebook today. Are, are so fungus then, gnats really really? Are they actually harmful to the roots? Are that, yeah, the, the grubs are, will break right? into the root system and cause secondary yeah. infection. They vector yeah. fungal infection mainly. No, like okay. they're vectoring. Probably um, young plants are the right most in. susceptible. 
Mm. Yeah, they'll vector in botrytis and fusarium and, and those types of septoria, that type of shit. Yeah, I thought they, they just blew up your nose. Fung some fungus gnats will destroy like a a young clone or a seedling or something like that. They'll fucking do enough damage to actually kill it. Hmm. I, I, I do feel like it's kind of in the same way, uh, same category as uh, thrips and that they're not, you know, it, they're only going to kill a very small or a very weak plant and that, you know, normally they're not uh, destroying enough plant matter to kill a, a large plant because a large plant is going to be creating so much new material over time. So I feel like a lot of times they, you know, mild populations of them can exist without doing a ton of harm as opposed to like, you know, spider mites, which will, you know, kill a whole plant or something. Yeah. yeah it I would usually be something don't... that I would ignore, you know, no. try to find some sort of treatment method, but it wouldn't be like, oh, shit, I got to order something overnight, rush delivery, right. you know. Or clean my whole room, you know, like, yeah. I'm not going to like, you know, I never like, had oh, that shit. I found an aphid. I'm gonna fucking yeah. scrap the whole room and clean everything. I, I don't think I've ever had a lot of them. You know, it's only just a few here and in there. <laughs> but I've seen other people's grows where they obviously have been uh, a problem. And I was wondering, you know, what what was the difference? And you know, because I because I was kind of in in my, in my grows. I guess they, they they I can't tell whether they're doing anything bad at all. Maybe because they never get up to be a big enough fungus gnats I'm talking about they never get to be a big enough population so I've never noticed them to be a problem so I just kind of thought they were just using the plants like for you know the dirt like furniture they were just hanging out but I've heard a lot of people say that they that they are uh trouble just like what Steve said that they vector in other funguses and things like that so I you know but and I've seen grows I've been in other people's grows where they're bit when there's a lot of fungus gnats you know where it's obviously a problem like I say, in mine, it's usually just a few, and they fly up my nose, and I'm like, yeah, and that's about the worst, the worst thing I think about them. But, but I know that I, I, I've heard they can be a problem. So yeah, I mean, is like something like, like, like super annoying? Like they're just they're really annoying. Like you say, like the, you, yeah, you know, you fly up they your nose. Fly up your nose. They, you know, like you feel like you get, you know, similar to the spider mites, and where you like you. You, you feel like you get rid of them and they're completely gone and then you walk in the room one day and you see one flying underneath the light and you're like yeah you know and yeah. uh um you know so just i i feel like they're they're usually just frustrating in low populations and but they can definitely get out of control and, and cause problems like you're saying speaking of spider mites I, I i was in a grow one time where we were we I was distinctly able to see uh, spider mites kiting around the house on I think I mentioned this to Steve one time before and I don't know how many people have seen this but they 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 actually can fly on little webs just basically just like a spider the way a spider can can fly a, a web out there and take off yeah that's why they go to the top of the buds and they web up the buds it's they're going up there because there's such a dense population of them usually on the plant itself that they start migrating. <laughs> yeah, well, these, these, we saw these guys flying around, and I don't know if this is only one species, maybe it's the two spotted, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think we identified, I wasn't at this grow long enough, but it was incredible. I mean, you really could actually see them. You could see them kiting by in the air, you know, on this little strand of, of uh, cause there were so, I guess there were so many of them, maybe they were all just, Maybe they get to a point 
you know, or whatever. But these guys yeah. were absolutely yeah. at the point, you know, with buds covered, you know, over the top and yeah. light version of of up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it wasn't that funny. <laughs> it was it was actually pretty kind of tragic, I mean, in a sense, you know, but well, up was really funny. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen, I've had some really bad, I, you know, I, the, the, I usually, well, okay. It's, I'm a weird person to ask though, because most of the time when people call me for aphids, it's because they've been fighting them for a while and it didn't work. So yeah. when I get there, it's, you know, overrun completely. Yeah. Um, but I, I've gone to a couple grows that were just, you know, there, there was one grow in particular, I swear to God, there was as much biomass in aphid, um, in aphids as there was plants. In fact, Probably dig up some pictures of that. You gonna bring out the horror show pictures again? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Go down to twelve people watching. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want that in my grow. Oh no. The nightmares just thought from the last time you should. Oh the the root aphid video. I think that's the one that really gets people skipped out. Especially if you've had them before, it's particularly traumatizing. Yeah, because they're so hard to get rid of. I actually had somebody hit me up today about trying to get rid of them in the in the Tulsa area, and I was like, "Oh, I guess they're hatching." Um, here you go. So this was this was the worst one I've ever seen. So oh that's the God. top of a leaf. Oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That hurts me. Wow. You think you adopted the aphid? I was born in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All the up to, uh, you know, here's another one. Same same facility. Wow. <laughs> Just thick as all get out. Fat and You can see the winged adults here. Those yeah. are the winged adults and then the nymphs. Yeah. And then the and then these are bong aphids. Yeah. Uh, here uh your um, root aphids. Dude, I would, if I were you, I would have shaved my dreads off when I left that place. <laughs> <laughs> Man, like a big old bath and tea tree oil, you know. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but you know that's you dip yourself in oil eggs. Yeah, right. <laughs> I could probably find the root, root, nice root aphid picture for you. I, I don't I like to do that. I just looked at the picture. Reason. You know, cloth pots to me give you know an opportunity for your root aphids to really get in there and and you basically have little feeding stations on the outside of the bag. That's the outside of a cloth pot and a grow I visited. So each little root sticking out is a feeding station for them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a huge cloth pot fan either, actually. It's the wrong I, I tried them a few times. Huh? The wrong climate yeah. here yeah no here absolutely we need we need it, it we, it's too dry here for cloth pots plant cannabis plants need more water they, we can't can't water them in those things i mean maybe i don't know but it's probably good up in washington or in oregon but you know i don't think they're good in southern california <laughs> i think you need a good plastic a large plastic container for your backyard. 
it does get get tough to keep it cool that's for sure the what's even that here, even here in southern oregon it can be tough to keep huh. your water temperatures down in the huh. in the summertime mm. <laughs> absolutely um, so I, I haven't done an outdoor here yet actually i'm just uh all the materials are just starting to get here to build the outdoor system for the yeah. greenhouse which is almost done so that's going to be cool but um it's going to be uh you know i have a separate little shed that'll be um uh totally covered and shaded and i'm going to bury it at least part way in the ground i'm not sure how deep i can go because i'm sort of on like a rock slab of a hillside so mm. i don't know if i'll be able to bury it all the way but um you know try to shade it as much as possible and get at least a little bit of insulation even if not uh you know, sort of direct cooling but um a little bit of insulation through burying it. Uh, that's the plan to run the outdoor here. But even even here in Southern Oregon, it can be a problem. So I can't imagine trying to do it that far south um, yeah. unless you had like a cool spring or something that you could um, route it into. It would be really difficult to keep your temperature down without like running a water chiller or something like that. Um, we, Steve, do you have any uh, solid cooling? Uh, stuff for outdoor systems and really hot areas or just I guess the biggest thing like, like I was saying last week is just putting some fans on your open water where you do have it to let it evaporative cool directly that can be a pretty good heat sink um, but it you know it can get kind of tricky in the summer the other thing that we've done at, uh, up at Vertica they retrofitted a big giant um, coil system that goes into the ground that you know uh, also goes outside um, and you want to have, you know, at least a four to one ratio, you know, for, for, for every inch inside, you want four outside if you can, uh, or, you know, as much as you can afford to get close to that, uh, and then run those underground. Or the other one that we've also done for cooling, uh, if you have, and in a lot of places, it works really well for where we are in Oklahoma, a lot of places have retention ponds and things like that. So we can sink uh, a heat sink down at the bottom of that where it's nice and cool uh, and already kind of thermal, you know, radiating that off and, 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 and taking that cold water uh, and, and on a heat exchanger basically and, uh, and running that into the greenhouse as well. So those are the kind of the different ways that I've seen it done uh, or had experience doing. Um, the other thing too is just geothermal cooling and then, you know, air movement and then, you know, worst case scenario, there's, there's you know, chillers and, and all that shit. But We were talking yeah. about, one time, Steve, you mentioned, we, we were talking about tropical fish and you you were saying oh yeah probably some kind of some species of tropical fish maybe you know one of the the anabantids or something you know bettas or garamis or something right they can but they can really only take a little bit warmer water right i mean they're only up into the somewhat low yeah, 80s or if you want really high temperature fish you know you're looking at tilapia yeah. or paku or yeah. best bet or maybe some of the catfish um, they can take you know well into the 80s is that right? Yeah. But, uh, not no, Once you get above 88, man, you're, there isn't really anywhere on earth where the water gets that There's warm. no oxygen. Yeah, there's just no room and no oxygen left in that water. Yeah. So, you know, you can run all the way up to the low eight. Your plants are not going to be happy. I mean, there is, I've gone to grow, I've visited groves where their water was just cooking in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there were some, some Nelson paid systems that I'd gone to where they had, didn't have a chiller on it or any kind of plan. I don't know what the fuck they're thinking, but they had no plan on water cooling. And it's like, how are you going to sell someone a commercial system with no plan on how to cool the water? Like, it's just reckless. 
Um, anyways, um, but that's something I've seen at quite a few of the southern larger southern systems is, is just keeping the water cool. Um, some of them have, and the smart way to do it is to put all your sumps underground, put as much plumbing as possible underground and use that as a heat sink. In the wintertime, yeah, it might bleed off some extra heat. You might have to spend some extra money heating, but you know, that's what, two or three months a year versus the rest of the year where you gotta, you know, you have the opposite problem. Certainly, you know, four or five months in the summer, you know, May through, you know, October, you're gonna end up having, you know, cooling issues, certainly anywhere in the South. So, you know, it really just depends on what you need to do, but that's, yeah. One thing that I can say that I learned from my first outdoor grow was that um, what I used, uh, poly barrels that I cut in half for my beds and um, the black ones obviously got much hotter than uh, the blue or the green ones uh, I had. I just got different ones by chance because I just got whatever, you know, the guy had. I think it was just off of Facebook or, no, I think it was still Craigslist back then. This was eight years ago. So uh, it's definitely, um, you know, if heat is your concern, definitely don't get black barrels. I mean, it sounds sort of like Captain Obvious, but uh, it'll definitely help you to get um, a different color like white, uh, blue, or green. You know, another, another, and I, this is a pretty much of a, I guess, really veering left, but another alternative, and I mentioned this to Steve and his, uh, his, uh, his subsequent idea was really funny. Um, but I mentioned to him that I, we have all these turtles, you know, we have these five turtles now and uh, they eat a lot and they poop a lot. Of course, I guess we can't really, you know, in, uh, eat them, I suppose, but boy, do they make the water dirty. And, and uh, I was talking to Steve and Steve was like, hey, how about, how about caimans, you know? Um, aren't there, I think there's a species of caiman that only gets to be about three feet long. <laughs> all right, am I getting too silly? Not really. Not really. I mean, you know, you know, <laughs> these animals can take the hot water, right? These guys, they, they I mean, they don't care. I'd love right? to do it if I had a, like a natural pond, you know, that'd be really cool. Have, yeah. You know, small natural pond and the circulating system and have some kings swimming around. There you I, mean, I guess you couldn't really have fish and caiman though. It would have to be like... <laughs> It's well, probably illegal. You'd just be feeding caiman, but it would be because you can't. You'd have to keep them contained. Anything you have in the pond, like even around here, that you know, you have to like keep them. Make sure that you keep them out of the natural system. And obviously, caiman they can just chop out and take off. You know, they never. They would never approve it anyway. We'll say, uh, but man, it would be cool. I would really like. Because man, these turtles. I mean, they 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 poop a lot. You know, I mean, they're really massive. They gotta you gotta clean their tank all the time. You know. They really, uh, and of course, I, I always, you know, use all their water to, to, to water the plants. So in a, in a way, we're kind of doing passive aquaponics with our turtles. And, and the, other, the other thing with, with turtles I found is if you have like a boggy area where you have like live plants, especially like mm -hmm. marsh plants, or can have like a mossy area and have the water recirculate through that bog, you can really help cut down on the, you know, going to like a more living style terrarium really seems to help. And then also uh, lactobacillus. Lactobacillus mm -hmm. is wonderful for your reptile and turtle enclosures, snake bowls, for keeping them uh, clean, uh, making sure that they're not growing any bacteria you don't want them to grow. And then also just to um, uh, reduce the smell 
lactobacillus loves to eat those sulfur producing <laughs> bacteria that stinks so bad. You know, anyone that's had a, uh, a turtle or a, especially a snake knows how stinky those turds can be. And you know, I mean, you can wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning and you're like, damn, I got to take care of that right now. I can't even like, like I've had that happen to me. So um, definitely, uh, huh, definitely be, be careful with that. But that's definitely a great way. It's one of the things I'm having more and more people from my um, aquarium groups that I work with uh, using lactobacillus in their aquariums and in their reptile stuff as a way to, you know, to smell mitigation and overall just health of the animals um, to help reduce some of that issues because, you know, Reptiles in particular can get stinky quick. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A uh, uh, breeder Steve kept keeps caiman and his stuff. In fact, I'm gonna at some point here we'll be we'll get a chance to go down there. But shit's uh, kind of crazy over there right now. <laughs> I want a caiman. I think it's a great idea. I don't mind if some I have cool to. Some cool new projects. Um, we're still finishing up contracts and stuff, but some really cool new projects if this all pans out. We have a, a pretty pretty cool 12,000 square foot facility we'll be working with a started from this um, 22,000 square foot facility we'll be building out here in the next couple of months. So um, a lot of cool new large facilities going up. Uh, aquaponic cannabis is really taking off kind of at a scale that's much bigger than others. The other thing um, uh, I've seen this week is we had another aquaponic farm uh, being misled by a, a certain company in Oklahoma um, uh, show up for arsenic again um, because they're overdosing kelp and telling people really ridiculous ways on nutrient balancing. Um, they also have a, a, a media that is questionable and it's heavy metal content. So um, really, really getting old, seeing the same company failing people for the same exact heavy metal testing. Um, and, uh, you know, they got to address it here. It's getting kind of out of hand. Is it a fake? It's a real So the company is giving a false positive or I don't understand. No, 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 no. The, the regimen they're doing is causing people's cannabis to fail for arsenic. Oh, oh, wow, wow. Oh, because they're feeding, right, the feeding with the with the kelp or whatever, the kelp's got in. Kelp and, and yeah. you know, a couple of other silly things. Oh, of course. Causing oh all, um, uh, all kinds of problems for people. So definitely something that uh, people need to be aware of. And, and hey, you can absolutely use kelp. You can use lots of stuff. Um, and uh, it's it it's the way you were talking about this before, and I forget the details. Is it the way of processing it? It's not the fault of the kelp the kelp itself, right? It's something in the in the processing system or that concentrates the metals. I mean, yeah. Save me, Steve. You you told me this before, and I should. Uh, it's one of the ones I should be able to tell other people. So kelp yeah. concentrates. Uh, heavy metals um, and, has all kinds of, and same thing. The, the main issues you have to worry about when you're looking at inputs that could potentially bite you in the ass later on will be heavy metals or kelp, uh, rock phosphate, uh, azomite, and anything that's like a mined product um, because they, while they absolutely um, can be used as directed, but if you overdose them or you go crazy with them or you get your pH particularly low uh, I'm talking like sub six, you mm -hmm. can end up over bioaccumulating them in the plant tissue uh, and cannabis in particular pretty easily. Um, uh, I, you know, I, and the main ones I see fail for this are, are people that are using maxi crop with iron as their only iron source. You know, the, the you know, that makes no sense to me because you're adding just way too much kelp, uh, just trying to keep that iron up. Uh, and then the other one we're seeing is just people just ludicrously overdosing 
with with kelp to you know as either a cure-all which some aquaponic companies teach uh, that you know rock dust and kelp solve everything that a uh, uh, fish food doesn't which is just bullshit um, and, and then you also see it in um, uh, people that are just telling people to use kelp as their potassium input you know for flowering crops you know hey they see the k you know it's a zero zero twenty well it's because they use potassium hydroxide as the stabilizer for the for that so that's why you know and it's it's you know of course yeah if i add a caustic potassium source in there of course it's got you know, but why would you do that it's just stupid it just doesn't make any sense again it's just people that don't understand how to actually balance this they have no experience actually doing this and they have just crazy cockamamie ideas i mean this is why i preach so much about potassium silicate and calcium carbonate as, as the proper aquaponic balanced ph because again that is is the way to, to provide both silica and potassium and calcium and alkalinity to your system right you're adding four inputs with two or you know, four different things with two inputs right so um it really really helps balance things out and then you know across the board so the, these are all just issues where people just again don't understand what they're talking about don't understand the implications of what else is in the inputs mainly with a lot of the organic inputs people don't understand all the different stuff that's in it um someone says does seawater have heavy metal seawater does have very tiny trace amounts but nothing that would be a problem um, the biggest problem with seawater would just be the sodium you know you're going to end up over accumulating sodium and that's going to cause you all kinds of problems Plants don't like salt water too much. Some plants do, huh? Some plants are adapted to living in the salt water areas, but. Oh yeah, and, and actually it's mainly determined by the microbes that are found in the root system. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. And you can actually make crops more salt tolerant by changing the microbials, the microbes inoculating with certain. Uh -huh. Yeah, because I mean, there is, there's nutrients in the salt, I mean, we are we're always given uh, what is it halide or whatever uh, magnesium sulfite right isn't that that's the same thing we used to melt melt the the ice with in Boston I think on the streets <laughs> same kind of salt right or whatever I mean it's got some nutrient value to salt but but not that much you don't need that much right it's not don't need don't need piles of it. <clears throat> Somebody says, how many tilapia can you keep in a 40 gallon tank? Um, mainly, I mean, for a 40 gallon aquarium, you're not going to be able to keep that many tilapia. I mean, you could keep maybe half a dozen in there off the bat and then trimming it down to one or two later on, which they're eventually going to outgrow. So um, I don't know on that one. Um, it says, uh, it was going to go with goldfish, but said tilapia would be better. Koi are better if you're going to resell them, that's for sure. Um, but tilapia are good if you just want something to eat, or bluegill, or yellow perch. All of those are good ones. Um, someone says, I use potassium hydroxide for various things. You can use it, but it, the problem is it, it adjusts pH too fast. It's caustic and it doesn't add multiple inputs when you can use uh, potassium silicate to do the same application and, and get the benefit of the silica, which is hard to dose. You know, you, you want to always add silica when you're dosing pH up, uh, if, if you need it, at least. Um, so thinking about KNF's uh, seawater foliar spray, you can absolutely use salt, salt water foliar sprays uh, from KNF um, in aquaponics. I wouldn't use them in the system, 
you know, in your uh, in your soil, but you could totally do a foliar spray, uh, you know, if you so chose. Um, uh, yeah, so a lot of people ask about fish for aquaponics. Usually we go with tilapia or koi. Butterfly koi in particular have really good resale value. Um, one thing I would say though, is definitely be careful. Someone else have mentioned Jadam wetting agent. Um, be careful with Jadam wetting agent that can get you into trouble with the fish. It's one of the few things you can kill fish with uh, from you know Jadam or KNF. So just be careful with that. If you use too much of it, um, it will get into the water and kill your fish pretty rapidly. Um, uh, any type of wetting agent is generally pretty fish lethal uh, with very few exceptions. So be careful. So what type of strains are you growing up there, Stabby? Or what are you growing next run, maybe? You got anything you're excited to, to run? Uh, well, right now for uh, for a little Discord challenge that we have on the Irie Army Discord, I've got uh, a golden goat and a katsu pupil going. And then I've got some watermelon mama from Jinx Proof some blue raspberry truffle, some blueberry butcher from uh, Rasta Jeff. Uh, let's see, I got that slurricane cut still from Stony Scholar. I'll never let go of that thing. I've still oh, got yeah. the lemon G from Rasta Jeff as well. Probably never let go of that. So lots of good flavors, lots of good uh, varieties. Got the Mac S1 too from Colin over at Ethos. So what's what's to pick from? Somebody in chat says, what about saponin, fish killer, potent ponics, yucca, and cocoa wet too? Uh, that's the name of the wetting agent. So yes, absolutely. Y yucca is incredibly fish lethal. Um, and uh, if you um, use yucca, in fact, the Native Americans on the West Coast used to squeeze the yucca root and drain the, the liquid out, and then they would concentrate it and then they would put it in clay vessels uh, and evaporate it down and make a concentrate. And then when they concentrated it, they'd pour it in the river and when the salmon run would come and then they would wait downstream to collect all the salmon that would float to the surface. You can kill a lot of fish with a couple of drops of yucca or saponin. Um, super stoked to, to hear that you're um, uh, growing um, uh, the slurricane. I definitely want to get a cut of that uh, when I get uh, the new house here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Do you have anything maybe you're working on breeding wise? Are you working on any type of program or, you know, you got any goals set out for that maybe in the next? Oh, couple? I'm always working on something on the back burner. <laughs> you know, little projects here and there. I still have uh, stuff going from beans that Scotty Real gave me like six, seven years ago, you know, little projects on the side. So. I'm always tinkering, always playing, you know, you, you'll never, you'll never find the next type cut unless you uh, pop some beans, right? Oh, yeah. Now, the more beans you pop, the more you have. We're definitely uh, excited to, once we get into this new spot here, to have a lot more room to, to stretch the wings. Um, what about you, Mr. Green Jeans? What have you been doing and growing lately? And uh, what are you working on and scheming on? Uh, well, let's see. I, I guess this uh, this spring I I made a lot of clones of stuff that I already have, and I 
started trialing a lot of stuff outdoors, you know, because we're here in Los Angeles, we're 33 degrees latitude, we're kind of at the, maybe at the bottom of the sort of band of high quality drug cannabis, we're getting into the area where we kind of need the, you know, need the sativa dominant ones. And uh, last, last year, you know, I trialed a couple more outside. So I have about four clones that I know work really well here in, uh, in Los Angeles. The Oreo works really good. Um, probably any of the cherry bombs will. Um, the, you know, I got a half cherry bomb, a super lemon haze and cherry bomb that works really nice. And also super lemon haze crossed with my old triple uh, X strain from way back in the day. That one works really nice. That's like a lemon, that one worked really nice outdoors last year. It's, it's kind of like a lemon skunk, uh, lemon skunk, maybe a sort of lemony skunk, but looks more like a, a sativa in its, in its structure you know, until it starts to flower. But um, yeah, so I got to try a lot of plants outdoors this year to see how early they could be put out. You know, I was surprised that Oreo doesn't, is not happy out here to, to go out too early here in, in Southern California, probably doesn't want to go out until, you know, maybe even the first week of June almost, or, you know, towards the end of May. Um, yeah, so this this whole thing of the the day length, you know, the day, the the it's it's pretty cool. Um, it also made me realize that here in Southern California, we can and I've done this before. We can flower plants, you know, uh, the indica dominant plants. We can kind of flower them outdoors almost any time of year, pretty much about nine months out of the year. You know, I could just take a clone of of say the brandy wine or something like that and which, you know, pretty much won't even really veg, even if I stick it out here on June 21st, you know what I mean? It will, that, it'll pretty much, it'll pretty much brand, start flowering. The brandy uh -huh. one that he has is from the cut yeah. from that one, the DGC, I got that from Van Ripster. Excellent, excellent genetics, one that, really. You see cup, I mean, it's, yep. it's good, good shit. Super nice, super nice. And, uh, and that, you know, but it's you know it doesn't 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 like it outdoors here that well you know but and you know so I yeah, it, it was really really interesting to to trial so many you know plants uh, outdoors I should have done this years ago you know I don't know why why I didn't really think of it but also you know the plants that I stuck out too early that weren't happy about it because the you know they were too indica dominant or whatever they they ended up flowering and end up getting really nice. Uh, Nice quality little plants in little gallon pots, you know what I mean? Cute little, cute little finished, lovely outdoor, you know? And uh, so, but that's what made me realize that here in Southern California, we, it's quite, uh, people, people could really do, you know, closet, casual closet growers could, you could just have a tiny little shop light just to veg up your, veg up a few plants, you know, clones or something up to a foot or two tall and, slam them outdoors any time of the year, nine months out of the year, man, pretty much, you know, even if it's springtime, even if the day, the days are increasing, if it's the right genetics, your plant's going to finish up nice, going to look really nice. And plants that, that finished, you know, indica dominant plants that finished still two weeks ago, the day's getting pretty damn long, you know, and they, they you know, I'm looking at them, I'm going, when are you going to change your mind? You know, they're going to suddenly go, oh, well, I guess I'll go back to vegging, you know, and they didn't, you know, they, they finish up solid and it's springtime. 
I never thought that, you know, I, I thought maybe, oh yeah, we can put plants outdoors in through the winter up to February, something like that. I've done it in, you know, February. Told people, yeah, I could take, I could flower a plant outdoors in February here in Southern California, no problem. Well, of course you can, dumbass. I'm sorry, I'm talking to myself, but I mean, you know, it, it is amazing. It, that is an incredible thing that, that, that you could, that you can basically flower any kind of indica dominant genetics down here outdoors probably about nine months out of the year you know veg it up in your in your closet under your little now you can get a really nice led light you know there's no excuse home growers out there <laughs> you know you get the nice clone you veg it up a little bit in your closet you slam it in your pot put it out on the patio and a month later bam high quality you know so anyway yeah that was my adventure this spring um, you know, I made a bunch of, see, can I talk about, I don't know if I can talk about our, our project, Steve or not, but because <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I was just going to say, I'm kind of excited about the, the possibility that you're going to be. Oh yeah. Well, well we're going to keep that under wraps for now. For that yeah. That's one. Okay. All right. I'll shut up. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Steve, that's right. me up. You ever What's do that? anything with all those, uh, genetics beans I gave you? I gave you like a whole grip of them that one time. Oh yeah, I got a whole bunch of them uh, still. A lot of them I still have. I could even give them back to you if you're if you need them. Well, but I, no, I don't need them. I, I gave them no, to we, you to yeah, take we were, care of. We were going to pop a whole bunch of them there and then I found out that guy was doing some things he wasn't supposed to so I had to get up yeah. out of there. He got, actually still owes me money, although some what apparent so he had like seven or nine or some ridiculous amount of consultants after me, uh, and then he ended up getting involved in some people that you don't want to get involved with. And then the last I heard that there was a lien on the on the property and on the company. So you know, that's what happens when oh, you wow. just hmm. help people, or you know, when you when you play games with your consultants and stuff, and you don't listen to their advice, and you go. But, and try to do everything on your own and you just want to blindly disagree with people you're never going to get anywhere but usually when someone's had multiple consultants they're the problem not the farm yeah <laughs> so that's that's usually a pretty good sign that they're you know either not listening to good advice or uh you know or doing something else but uh but yeah so that's that's the problem with that but i, I actually do have all those seeds and I actually i'm once I get moved here, we'll be setting up a nice big greenhouse uh, and all that stuff, which we'll be talking about more uh, once we get onto the property and, and have stuff a little bit more set up. So um, we'll be we'll be talking about that. So that's coming up here in a couple of months. I have um, the large facility up in uh, northeast Oklahoma. What's going up right now? We'll be doing a bunch of build outs of that. So we have tons of that content coming. We got all uh, uh, for the, the class and a little bit for the YouTube channel. Uh, and then um, uh, also, well, I should back off on talking about this other, but we have this other big facility, 14,000 square foot facility in a pretty cool place. Uh, I think you guys are gonna really like um, once we get it all uh, all shown off. So um, yeah, I'm just kind of excited, uh, kind of uh, wrapped up some chapters of my life recently and opened some new ones and super stoked to kind of see, you know, where things are gonna go from here. And it's kind of, kind of cool and a bit freeing in some ways. So kind of good. Nice. Yeah, I was talking to the woman when I finally get off work, you know, finally get some free time. I want to uh, take the whole family down there. And, uh, you guys should you guys should mob down here one night or, or on weekend. We'll, we'll spend a weekend at a lake or something and get some cabins together, you know, and next to each other or something. Have a good time. 
Yeah. Uh, what uh, what other types of what are you guys looking for? Is there anything in, in, you're looking for for your current breeding program, Stabby, that either myself or Green Jeans or Marty might have in their collections? Or well, if not, uh, what are you currently? Is there anything you you are seeking for your? For me personally, I am looking for THCV dominant strains for you know my personal medicine. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm pretty much just going for anything that uh, will produce good rosin right now. Like I'm uh, that that slurricane cut that I got from Stony. It really dumps. It makes uh, some pretty nice rosin. But I've been kind of uh, delving down that rabbit hole recently. You know, trying to master the technique of low temp, and um, I want to get into doing some jar tech maybe uh making some diamonds and sauce with uh rosin so some some fun stuff ahead for me what about you mr green jeans you you love to make rosin in fact your your oreo rosin is fire you're the one who got me into it man i mean you, <laughs> you know you started me on this old medicinal thing in the first place um you know i was thinking you know I, i've been you should tell people about that because a lot of people don't know that you kind of, uh, you know, kind of retired there for a minute and then uh, I kind of clawed you back. You did. You did. You, 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 you absolutely did, man. You resurrected my ass um, <laughs> for sure. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, I never had an Oreo tested, but man, if that isn't high in THCV, I don't know what the hell is. Um, you, you know, it, it's a classic super up sativa you know what i mean it's, uh yeah it's it's literally appetite suppressant which i think is one of the um one of the signs of thcv i think you know it's uh, oreo is definitely an appetite suppressant you're, you're like, yeah, definitely like to see that because you know, you know, uh one I of never, the reasons why i hunt for it personally is like i've had head injuries and stuff like that and i've been diagnosed with ptsd so like there's there's certain medicinal qualities i'm going for with the uh ptsd that you might not find in or, or with the uh thcb that you might not find in your typical strains yeah yeah um uh was i gonna say that uh i think the only thing about the don't think about Oreo. Where do you live? <laughs> you get you an Oreo clone. <laughs> Why are you stabby? Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'm going to end up with one here before too long. I'll, I'll make sure that he gets one. Okay, excellent. Because I'm yeah, definitely going to get you another one. Um, and I was going to say that, uh, yeah, um, I, I, the only thing about Oreo What's the, is that... Uh, lineage on that? Is it a it's, cookies? It's, no. Well, actually... No, I, I actually bred Oreo about, I'd say about nine months before any Girl Scout cookie name or any of that stuff appeared, anything about, right, it was about nine or 10 months before um, I, and I had pictures of it up when I was talking about it on IC Mag, stuff like that. So you could go back and look at that. Um, but I, but I have a feeling that, uh, that the people that created uh, Girl Scout cookie and all that stuff that it was kind of a, almost like a counter, like an answer to Oreo, because I talked about the lineage and everything, uh, you know, pretty extensively. It's it's 50 percent Durban poison. And my friend 
it's real Durban poison because my friend is from Durban and he brought the seeds <laughs> from 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 Africa himself. And the other side of it is an unknown strain uh, from Germany that a friend that some friends gave me seeds for. Um, that it's kind of is like a Jack Herrera type maybe. So. So loosely speaking, I suppose Oreo could be said, it's kind of like a Jack Herrera type mixed with, with um, or Durban poison. And, and it, it's the, so, and the, the Oreo plant really taught me that the F1, the importance, I've always been into breeding. I'm always like, oh, let's see what's down the next generation. Let's see what's down there. But this one was an F1 and I did quite a bit of breeding with Oreo. I, I bred it extensively. I, I had a brother, a full brother to it. I bred, you know, I made it, tried to make a strain and everything. And I really couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't fix all the traits from that one plant. It was kind of like a lesson to me. I think of, you know, it was a lesson that you can't, you know, <laughs> you can't do everything with breeding, son. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I really couldn't, you know, I could get actually a lot traits fix really easily. She passes on apparently the TH uh, dominance, I think, pretty easily. Um, in fact, in crosses, things that I've crossed her with and things like that, uh, it seems evident that the THCV comes in there. But but all you know the different... You know what else has it that you actually have is my blue hash has a lot of THCV in it and a lot of in certain phenos. Probably. That blue hash is really special, man. That stuff is, is some that's serious. The, that's shit. the strain where we figured out some of the some of the stressors with. That was the strain we used as the control. Huh. It it remind you know I if I, I I think sometimes I think when I smoke I get stuff from up in up north and things that it, I'm like wow that's that's like my old triple X. Well that uh, the blue hash has a, has a couple of tastes in and a couple of terpenes in there that remind me of my old triple X. I'm like, is that is it possible that there's some of my genetics in here from way back? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. You never know. Didn't you have a, a Durban poison that tested really high or something that was uh, that got unintentionally drought stress? Uh, <laughs> like, uh, that it was on a malfunctioning water. I remember you telling me you had lab tests from it. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, there there's a there there's a bunch of different stuff that we were screwing around with for quite a while and uh um yeah anyways uh well i remember you telling me about this plant that was like getting near wilting every day because of some malfunctioning uh watering uh point or something like that and then you're like, oh well, it uh, it was a drought stress because look at how high it tested. <laughs> so, well, if it, I'll tell you what, if it if it was an Oreo plant, it was it was drought stress because that damn plant drinks more than any <laughs> plant I ever seen. That thing grows faster, veges faster, and it just has so many leaves. It just has an incredible leaf cover. It's just always growing lots of leaves, you know. So it just sucks water like nobody's business, man. Uh, uh, one of my friends down here in the valley uh, two years ago, three years ago uh, in La Puente grew a single Oreo plant that we think it was around, was over eight pounds, around nine pounds, you know? And uh, man, he just couldn't even keep up with the watering at the end of that day and give it enough water. It was just, 
you know, he's like flooding it with <laughs> hundred gallons a day or something. I don't know, but it's a thirsty plant. So I don't know if you, if you were dealing with that, it could have been, you definitely were able to get a much better resin out of that and have larger trichome head sizes. It seems like the water stress seems to help a little bit with the trichome head size. Probably. Yeah. So and I've noticed that too. If you look at like, look at where you have traditional hash making, right? Where is it? It's uh, Morocco and mm. Afghanistan, Pakistan, mm. and what they get a lot of rain early in the season and then it stops and they just kind of dry. And Frenchies talked about this too, how they just finish off um, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, on um, by just letting them basically dry out. Uh, and we had, had a guest, I don't know if it was my show or um, Fumi's show or whoever it was recently, um, but they were talking just about just that exact thing about how in Afghanistan, uh, it was, um, What's her name? The the woman from uh, Amsterdam. I can't remember her name um, at the moment, but um, she was the one talking about it in, uh, uh, in Afghanistan about how they just basically just let the plants desiccate in the field to uh, and then make the hash from that. So there's definitely, you know, the plants are already kind of cued in for that desiccation and that increased wax layer. And it all makes me wonder like, can you affect the amount of waxes, fats, and lipids? Mila, thank you. Mila was the one who was talking about it. Mila, the hash queen. Um, uh, I changed the balance. This, if you change the balance of water, so like a soil plant versus like an aquaponic plant that has unlimited water, how much does that affect the fats and the lipids and, and the actual cuticle thickness of that trichome head? And can I, you know, make better hash with less and better rosin with less wax and fats and lipids by changing the water on that, on, on how that works by, by making a thinner, um, you know, whatever it is after testing makes the thinnest, um, you know, trichome skin wall, uh, you know, and then trying to replicate that it's, it's definitely one of the things that i've tinkered with but i haven't gotten any you know hard replicatable results yet really interesting. but on average though it seems like the water plants definitely have plumper trichomes uh, you know larger on average diameter versus the soil controls the uh, soil control tend to be a little bit smaller they also tend to be a little bit behind schedule so Size of size of trichomes is not necessarily a great indicator of potency. You know, people I've I've recently seen some the uh, friend of mine in uh, down down here, friend of hers, his that grows for him, and the guy doesn't. He's one of these growers who doesn't partake himself, which I think is kind of weird, you know. And uh, so he doesn't really know about the strains that he's getting, and he was growing something. I can't remember that. I think it was called Tangi, I think it was. And it, man, and it looked, and it was covered, you know, covered with trichomes and looked really good, but man, it just, you know, wasn't very good. You'd, you'd smoke it and, you know, you didn't get, you know, they didn't have very much smell. It was very, uh, you know, very un, un, not, you know, no terpenes. I don't know. It's weird because of the, the you looked at it and you could see these big trichomes you know you could see and you're like wow that's that looks really good but i don't know peel is not always that you know it's not always that reliable well and you know I, I, it always makes me wonder too like i would love to go back to parts of africa and and go back and bring a micrometer and and maybe a set of bubble bags and actually go and sift some shit on site like Obviously, I wasn't able to roll around with all that stuff in Zimbabwe. They were kind of just coming off of a security issue. 
situation. So um, I was able to bring some bubble bags with me for trade to get access to seeds and stuff, but I was not able to, you know, spend some time with them out in the, in the, in the hills as much as I wish I could. So definitely something I want to go back, but it's definitely, there's a lot of really nice sativas left in Africa that have not been hybridized with Western genetics yet. I think it truly is the last bastion of, of un, unmessed with genetics. It's only going to last a few more years. So, you know, if you are more daring and able, um, you know, get to Africa and go get them. Uh, <laughs> I should talk I, I to my friend. He doesn't want to go back, though. I, I, you know, he's got a little boy and stuff, and he's like, no, I ain't going back. Like, it's, you know, no plans to go back. I've been all over the world now, and I found that at the end of the day, people are people, and especially if you're willing to help them out a little bit while you're, you know, going through their area, they're usually pretty cool with it, especially if you can make friends with the local farmers and stuff, they are hooked up with everybody. So if like, you're cool with the, the local head farmers in the area or whatever, like they're, you know, they got hookups with everybody for all different types of stuff. So it's not, I never really had an issue with really getting messed with. I mean, I had a couple of close calls with different, well, probably shouldn't get into too much of that, but been a couple of, of getting fucked with because I got dreads or getting fucked with because I'm a white guy where there really isn't ever any, you know, I'm happen to be in part of a country where they're, you know, it's not the tourist area and they're kind of wondering what the hell you're doing there. Uh, and then, you know, I always make up something, oh, I'm an agricultural specialist. We're here working with local farmers to increase crop. And they're, they're so used to NGOs that you can just BS your way through any checkpoint that way. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not too bad, but um, that's kind of like getting the worst of it. The other one is just knowing what all the different stuff is that'll bite you or sting you or, otherwise injure you that might be in the field you know in africa we had spitting cobras uh in zimbabwe two different species of spitting cobras and you know making sure you wear sunglasses was more than just protecting your eyes from the sun it meant maybe not going blind that day so you know just silly stuff like that um and then uh just knowing what you need to like worry about as far as like um you know the local uh uh, organizations that may or may not be doing business in the area and making sure you're not pissing anyone off or, you know, even them thinking that you're taking money away from them in any way usually keeps you out of trouble. That's usually where people get themselves into real big trouble is they go into somewhere working for some corporation and it's like, you know, that's like basically at war with the local population and that's, that's never a situation you want to go into. Um, so what uh what about you what, what is there anything um you got any seed drops coming out soon i know you've been working hard on a whole bunch of stuff lately hey, me yeah but yeah I, I mean that's true i did make a lot of seeds um yeah i i i you know I, let's see shirley temple I got the Shirley Temple plant still. You know, I the thing was I crossed I I, I crossed cherry bomb with a lot of stuff with a lot of these these kind of uh, you know these sativas like like uh, like Shirley Temple and uh, and also yeah. Anyway, so, but, I was gonna sorry. say maybe so talk to us a little bit about you've been breeding since what, 76 or 78. Oh, that me that yeah. Now, you know what that's the, the that I don't I'm not sure exactly what that means uh, so around that it that's around the time that I started that I got the original seeds for cherry bomb so you know um, that's that, that's around I think it was around 76 I checked I checked with my my teacher 
Yeah. What were the strains that, that they, you guys were growing back then, kind of in the late 70s? Man, uh, <laughs> you know, there was, it, it was all, it was all sativas until the indicas, you know, until we, we got some indica flower form. We started getting indicas probably, I would say, in New York City around the mid 70s, around that, around maybe 75, 76, something like that. Um, from, for me, it was my friend who was a jingle singer, a musician, um, because, you know, I was, in, I'm, I was tuning pianos, working in the music industry there too. And a friend of mine who was a singer, a jingle singer, uh, he started, I think he turned me on to the first, you know, it was an ounce of incredible uh, Afghani hash weed that, you know, previously we, it wasn't like we had never smoked uh, indicas before we, we got hash, you know, we got really high quality hash, but we never got it in flower form. You know, nobody had ever seen an indica flower before. And, and right after those, it started showing up in New York in a couple different forms. I mean, I had, um, I had one uh, strain of indica that I think, uh, I used to call it the gas because um, when you would smell it, when you'd put your nose above one of the flowers while it was growing freshly, it, it smelled really strongly of propane and uh, fuel. And when you smoked it, it was, it was extremely fuely. And, uh, you know, I've always wondered, you know, if I wondered if that wasn't like a possibility that Soma got a hold of some of that stuff too, the same stuff, and that that wasn't New York diesel, that didn't, isn't what became New York diesel, maybe. Um, very likely. I mean, it was incredibly, you know, the, that was some really fuely stuff. The other thing is that it's possible that I lived in the same neighborhood as me. Might have been in the same neighborhood in Brooklyn, uh, down near the waterfront. Um, I got to talk to him one of these days. When I, when I meet him, I got to ask him because I used to smell, I used to smell a really, uh, of someone had a large grow and they weren't doing continuous flowering. They were going in, in, you know, they'd go a month or two and then it'd be ready and it'd be ready to pick. And I could smell it. I'd be walking from the subway on, uh, you know, on York Street down there in Brooklyn. I, I swear that, my, that my, could have been Soma. But anyways, uh, yeah. So all the Indica is coming through and, you know, immediately I, we had to start crossing them because usually, usually when you got a seed out of an Indica, it was almost always going to grow into be a female plant because it was probably from a hermaphrodite flower because they probably, you know, they were, they were making sense of me and they were going through and picking out all the males. And if you got an X, you know, so the, you, you were sorry. getting and sense Amelia, that was the first ones that you remember getting that were not us. It, it, the first sense of me of Indica. Yeah. I mean, we got sense of me in a high quality of, of sativas, you know, we got, we got things like, you know, tie stick and things like that. Um, we, and the, you know, the, the Maui Wowie, which is, which is what became cherry bomb. That was in, that was coming from Hawaii. It was really good quality. It was pretty much seedless. Um, I, you know, I got it, I got like a quarter ounce or something from my Kung Fu teacher. And he, I found one seed in that and I went back to him and I asked him, you know, can I go, can I look through the rest of the, uh, you know, how much more of that you got? And he goes, I got a whole pound. Well, can I look through it? You know, can I find the rest of the seeds? And he was like, sure. So I sorted through, you know, I looked through that and that's how I found the original six or maybe seven seed. I don't remember exactly uh, that I started cherry bomb with. 
And so that was Maui. That was a, a batch of Maui Wowie, you know, Hawaiian Maui Wowie, which was not even a strain either because, and to tell you the truth, I could tell it wasn't because there was quite a bit of variability in those early generations. You know, there was enough that, you know, there, there were plants that were definitely much more indica dominant. So I think, you know, my, my theory, and after having discussed it with people on Overgrow and IC Mag and this and that, is that it probably was uh, sort of a tame type of, uh, like a chocolate tie that, that maybe uh, that maybe it was like a chocolate tie kind of crossed uh, and that crossed with uh, maybe an indica type there in Hawaii. And that's, that's my best bet. That's probably what cherry bomb is, is uh, a cross that was made in Hawaii between a, a sort of a, you know, a chocolate tie type, which could have been a lot of things, you know, maybe that could be an Indonesian, you know, and some people have suggested, oh, that could have been, uh, there's kinds of strains of Mexican that, that would be like that. And I agree, they're, they're probably right. So, um, so yeah, that's probably, that's the story of Cherry Bomb. Been saving it since 1976. Uh, and it went out of my hands. And this is, uh, this is the thing. Always give your seeds away. Always give your clones away. Make sure you uh, you know, don't try to keep all your eggs in one basket, kids. <laughs> you know, make sure you give give half of your seeds to your to your trusted friends, uh, because if anything happens to your stash, you can go back to them and get it. Um, it's very important. And when and in the early two thousands, I started trying to, I basically uh, looking at cherry bomb, and I'm I'm still working on triple X, and I'm and at that time I'm starting to work on white wizard, and. I'm like, I've got kind of three strains that I'm actually down, you know, more than five or six generations into them and I'm working on them. And I'm, I realize I'm not growing cherry bomb out as much as I should, you know? And so I realized, well, I better, I better, you know, I gotta get, I gotta get it out here. I can't keep sitting on it myself. You know, it's too dangerous. I gotta get it out to, to the people. So I, you know, well, a couple I always of, take some seeds. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's likely, you know, it's, it's all over the place now. It's a great, it's awesome. You can, you can, you know, so I got my cherry bomb back from, uh, back from, uh, uh, from, from what's his name, Steve, from, uh, from gas, from uh, working with, uh, uh, you know, he's Swami. Swami. He's like a partner of Swami's, I guess. And, uh, and so gas had had you know I I didn't have any cherry bomb for four in my garden for four or five years, and I got the seeds back from gas, same stuff. Plus he even maybe I would say improved a little bit. I'm kind of colorblind, so I don't see these. There's a couple there's plants here and there with red pistils. I don't even see that. You have that one cut. We, there's a about a third of the so seeds nice. that you gave me as these neon really really bright pistils. Excellent, excellent. Because, well, that's you can thank gas for that. You know what I mean? And uh, it's so cool. I mean, the, he he did really great work, and the way he he really kind of stuck to to my uh, to my values. You know, like he read all my posts on on IC Mag and everything, and he, you know what I mean? He really he 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 worked and worked the strain like as if he was like doing it for me. It's just unbelievable. Really, really great. Uh, give me a, a wonderful and warm feeling, you know. <laughs> it's just, 
But anyway, yeah, don't keep all your eggs in one basket, folks. It's it's dangerous. Even even with a clone, you got a really good clone, spread it around. Don't try to keep it yourself. You know, it's too it's too dangerous, too risky. And uh, yeah, like that. <laughs> That's awesome. about it. Yeah. Uh, what about you know? Is there so? I guess maybe what about the next uh, uh, generation up? So what about the the early '80s? What were the stuff that you were working with? That I know you got some your Jack Herrera your, and your Jackie O. You have the Wayback Jack and yeah. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I like that that Jack clone that was not from the '80s. I didn't get that. No, I didn't get that until I was out here. I've only that I've only had the Jack Herrera clone. Only about 20, 20 years now, 21, 22 years maybe for that, for that particular time. Oh, just only, just, only. just for longer than any of my children have been alive. <laughs> no, but it's Not funny yet. though, you, you got, you can meet someone like Mr. Green Jeans is at a cut for 21 years or whatever. And then you got people who are like, you got to throw that mom away after three months because it's not worth anything anymore. And you're like, dude, are you mental? I know people stuff is decades old, but you, I need to throw this out after three months. Are you stupid? Like, get out of here. I've had that happen a couple of times recently in Oklahoma. People tell me they need to replace their moms every three months. And I'm just like, yeah. like who the hell is telling you that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the Jack is a really tough plant too. There's, there's no way that you could say that it's had any kind of uh, you know, degenerate from having been cut so many times, but you're going to be like, wow. But, you know, my daughter, my daughter made a good point to me one time. Uh, she said, it's, she said that she thinks that the, 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 the kind of, that kind of myth gets going because the, there is such thing as weak little clones that take a while to kind of get going, you know, because they've been made from, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, but a lot of the times it has to do, well, not always, but a large percentage of the time, at least with their outdoor growers, and I think this happened a lot in California, is they had a lot of viroids that were being factored by insects that they did not realize were being preserved in their genetics. In fact, hop latent viroid was discovered in Humboldt County. Um, you know, like, so, so this is, you know, I think that that's something that we're, and I see mosaic virus all the time. I, I, anyone that knows me knows I'm a big stickler about that because I'm sick and tired of seeing it. It's easy to tell once you know what you're looking at mosaic virus from variegation. One is, you know, the, the, the patterning is completely different. Uh, and, and there's also multiple types of mosaic virus. Some of them are super hyper aggressive. Some of them you could absolutely still finish the plant off fine. Yes, you're going to lose yield. But, you know, whatever, who knows? That, that mosaic virus might even boost some weird terpene or cannabinoid that we're just in desiring, right? Like, for instance, right. Mike, Mike West came on the show and was talking about how CBL, which is a, a very rare cannabinoid, is, is significantly hot, orders of magnitude higher in plants that test hot for powdery mildew. Well, clearly the plant is producing it as a response to the powdery mildew. So you might, and, and, and let's just say, just for the sake of argument that that compound ends up being like a super, um, uh, a super big um, 
medicinal, uh, medicinal plant. Uh, medicinal for cancer or some other shit. You might even have a, 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 a SOP schedule that says, you know, at week six of flowers, spray the room with powdery mildew or spray the room with, with some microbe that's neutered that isn't going to actually infect the plant but cause that immune system response. You know what I mean? Like, like a neutered version of PM that isn't going to infect the plant but maybe cause it to have like a vaccine version of powdery mildew. And, that, and I think that you're going to see stuff like that in the future as uh, kind of shortcuts for boosting um, uh, certain uh, outputs from these plants is you're going to have these, the, you know, either micro, either engineered or microbially isolated from nature, you know, one or the other um, microbes that are applied to the plants, specific parts of the growth, the growth period in order to, to slam individual terpene or cannabinoid levels. I mean, we see this uh, quite a bit with THCV, CBD, and a couple of others that we can replicate over and over again with aquaponics in terms of boosting them. So, yeah, you know, it's funny that you, I've, I've, uh, I've, I guess, and I've made it maybe as a joke, I suppose, but I, I, I swear, uh, spider mites actually improve the quality of cannabis. Uh, ooh, Mr. Green Jeans. I mean, they, they, they suck the, they suck the chlorophyll out of it, you know. <laughs> they may <laughs> they really do uh, I don't know about you know what that. there's there's a there's a kind of grape i'm trying to think of there yeah, there's I'm a kind of the hard disagree <laughs> <laughs> well i was just but i think the best thank you for not kicking me off the best example of a of a agricultural process that would that would work similar to what i just proposed would be um a <coughs> uh, uh, corn smut Corn smut is a fungus that's intentionally applied to, to corn fields in order to infect the corn to have a higher a higher um, production crop that's actually worth significantly more money than the corn would be. There's um, a so grape. There's a thing with 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 wine and and, and um, I'm sorry to interrupt that, but it's the it's the it's a fungus. It's the it's the one that everybody has trouble with uh, on the cannabis up north. Uh, uh, botrytis the gray one botrytis exactly yeah, yeah. so that's so botrytis so i've i've worked with a couple of great people and actually two different great people over the years if you go in with a lactobacillus treatment and and then follow it up with a good localized imo input eliminates it you don't act like people they're freaking out and because they're using chemicals and they have sterile soil it's the same problem with the septoria outbreaks it's the exact same scenario you have with and we've talked about this before why do people get septoria because their field is dead every single time when i see a massive septoria outbreak it's a first year hemp farmer that just converted his corn field wheat field soybean field xyz monsanto input fucking whatever here um, you know, at large scale agricultural farm that was recently purchased or they decided to take a plot of the land and re redo it for hemp. Uh, and then, you know, they're wondering why this dead field that has no microbiology in it has and these plants have no immune response and then immediately get infected by anything that breeds on them. Well, of course, this plant has no references in its root system to make any type of secondary metabolites. There's no fungi for it to expose to to make those. There's no bacteria exposed to it to, to protect itself against that. So the, the, you basically take a, it's, it's like the equivalent to taking a kid, putting him in a bubble, yeah, a bubble boy, and then throwing him out in the wilderness. At 21 years old and dropping him in a Times Square and being like, good luck, kid, go lick everything. Yeah. Like, and then expecting him not to get like deathly ill the next day, right? Like, of course that's going to happen, right? It's the same kind of problem that we have with people putting in hemp into, into dead fields. And it's the number one thing. I think that you're going to see the same, I'm predicting it now, you're going to see the exact same thing happen this year because we've had a ridiculously wet spring. Uh, uh, since March, it's basically rained every two to three days here. 
uh, it has been freakishly wet in Oklahoma. You're going to see another Satori outbreak unless it just gets completely hot and doesn't rain for months. Uh, short of that happening, you're going to see a huge Satori outbreak again, just like 2019 uh, in, in Oklahoma. But, but if you think about it, though, it, it all goes back to the soil and, and whatever's in the root system, be it aquaponics with the dual root system or an outdoors and living soil. You know, if you have a proper microbiological diversity, you're going to actually have all those different microbes that are feeding and competing for the resources that would otherwise be utilized by pathogens to then colonize and populate that area and then infect the plant. So if you can increase your biodiversity uh, and then, um, um, you know, do it that way you'll have significantly better success but also we've talked about this before why do plants make terpenes they make terpenes as a response to environmental factors right it could be light wind temperature uh, mold bacteria um whatever right so it, it uses terpenes as a way of defending itself from those different things or or, or helping regulate or control the population of those different you know uh, factors or you know some other way of mitigating it so uh, by increasing your microbiological biodiversity, you can increase your terpene production. That's the key to, bio, uh, to terpene production. It's not all these, you know, sugar serums and this other bullshit that people sell you. It's, it's, it's making good KNF inputs and having really good biologically diverse IMO inputs that give you a really wide variety uh, and AIMO inputs um, uh, that have a wide variety of different microbials. Uh, that, that actually do stimulate the plant in ways that we want them to that are non-pathogenic. That's how you boost terpenes. You want to get 3% every time or higher, that's how you do it. Not with some magic serum. Excellent. But the guy selling the bottles told me that this stuff is the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Big the buds. You still need, do need to buy some stuff sometimes. Like we just, we were just talking about the Bavaria bassiana strain, right? That that's really good for every, you know, spider mites and all those other ones, right? Whereas most yeah. other Bavaria bassiana strains don't touch mites. So that was a super cool thing to find um, that we're, you know, now that's well, the I think, open. Yeah. We can all agree there's good inputs and bad inputs and a, and a wide chasm in between. There's just so much trash on the market that's just not worth anything. Like if you go into uh, you want to hear you want one that anybody can go to any hydro store with and just laugh, go to a hydro store and try to find a, um, a bottle that has Bactillus amphicoliensis uh, in it. And um, if you do, they range anywhere from 3% to 97% depending on product. <laughs> so you can spend the same amount of money <laughs> by a concentrate <laughs> that'll make gallons of the shit versus the, the ready to use you should if you all ever have an option of buying the concentrate and you have the money always buy the concentrate unless it is a very short shelf life um it's one of the things where the, the other thing i'll tell you too and this is something i didn't realize until i started working in some states that are about to come online or you know they're growing hemp and they're waiting on the thc a lot of these growth stores have zero knowledge outside of chemical solutions so I went to a store in Georgia and they didn't know what Bavaria Bassiana was. Are you serious right now? That is one of the most widely used agricultural pesticides that's biologically safe or, you know, relatively safe to use on the planet. There's at least eight different products that have it in it and you don't even have one. And it works on probably the single widest range of insects that you have as a single product. Are you nuts? 
or you know just a bunch of like really silly stuff that just i have become so used to being every single store that i go to because it's just so important as part of its normal plan for any successful farm that you, you kind of get used to having those tools in your toolbox until you're in a place where they don't have them no more and then you got to figure it out like when i was in africa i had to get everything through south africa because south africa has a biobee and uh, a couple of the other uh, companies over there biobest i think is over there too um uh, that i can actually buy proper beneficial microbes and bacteria and, and all that stuff and fungi and all that stuff through but if i was in you know a different part of the world maybe south america i don't even know i'd have to import that from the states probably which would be a whole headache you know yeah well you know the problem with the with probably a lot of the stores that you're coming across is the people had the funding but and and an idea of uh you know how to expand their wealth without really the knowledge or the passion that someone like you has you know it's just a it's a mishmash of skill sets <laughs> so somebody in in chat said hydro stores are a joke i i wouldn't say necessarily that they're a joke i mean at the end of the day we all got started yeah there's a lot of potential there at least in like some bag of couch shit like like if we all told everybody about our first grow, at least the ones, especially before we had like social media and all that, people would laugh, dude. Like I didn't even get a chance to smoke my first harvest. It got stolen by the neighbors. I don't even know which one, right? It wasn't until my second time growing and getting the plants to finish that I actually got to smoke any, right? Like, so like, <laughs> like, like, like there's a lot of stuff like that. And it's one of the things where I, I do want to, there's another, I've had this idea for a recorded podcast and I recorded two episodes that I need to edit up. Um, but at some point I want to go back and just interview a lot of old school people kind of in the pre-legalization era and just basically focus on like pre 2000 and, and talk about, you know, what the fuck used to go down? How did shit used to happen? Because how it many was, street lights was, did you steal? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like the amount of crazy, crazy shit that used to happen for weed growing, like, and then, you know, like, for example, I used to work at a, at a pet shop, right? And we got paid 5% of a, a, a commission if we sold $5,000 or more. Well, once you realize that you got a bunch of grow equipment there, <laughs> you got 1000 watt lights and 600 watt lights and 400 watt lights and inline fans and everything else. And you start learning like, and the, the, the high salt tolerant hydro pumps and everything else. And the, 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 you know, uh, uh, all these different things, you, you very quickly learn how to put the grow room together with in an aquarium store. And when the police, you know, please sit in the parking lot of a hydro store, please do not sit in the parking lot of a place that sells coral. They just it's just not a place that they think of or at least traditionally haven't been so yeah. it's always been kind of this like weird safe place for people to go buy hardware that was not suspicious and and you know half the time the people at the pet store are also growing i knew that well i, I should be careful how much i say about that side of it but, but um yeah. uh, <laughs> it's funny but, that you I mentioned this because the first place I ever worked at, it's closed now, so I could talk freely on this one, had a whole grow room directly underneath of it. Oh, nice. So, so and that was on the East Coast, you know. Right. Um, long, yeah, it's funny long you mentioned the coral, though, because we just had a new guy start at work, and he's a fucking coral grower. And I'm like, and he's telling me about how he's got his system set up. And I was like, okay, 
what are you what else are you growing what else are you using that water for you know <laughs> and he's like oh no man i can't it's it's salt water coral i was like ah, oh, okay <laughs> i used to when i was living in colorado when i was bouncing around i was temporarily living between places my buddy was going through a divorce and i went in and moved in with him temporarily when i was living out there and it's because he needed the money for the rental or the mortgage and um, we had the police show up one day because we always have this bright glow coming from the whole bottom half of the house. Well, the whole, he used to work for doing aquarium maintenance. He had his own aquarium maintenance company. So he had all of the coral and fish and all that. He'd get in orders once every week or two and then use them as his stock tanks for all of his, his customers doing aquarium maintenance. So the, the police wanted to know what the hell the power bill was about and, and basically forced their way in you know, with a warrant and searched the house and, and found the whole grow room, which was not a grow room. It was just a bunch of reef tanks and fish tanks and everything else. And yeah, we had our personal amount of weed, but we also had med cards and in legal state. So it was like, yeah, whatever. Like you guys done get the fuck out. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you like our coral, you know, get the fuck out. <laughs> One of the neighbors just saw the lights and called the cops on us. And so we had a large scale illegal grow. And, you know, there was not, there wasn't even a single live weed plant in the whole house, you know, just funny. But we, we also had, when I was at the, um, working at aquaponics source, we actually had an old couple get, you know, SWAT teamed and gun pointed and, you know, thrown into the, yeah. the back of a, a van and all that shit. Um, uh, and um, uh, they ended up over, uh, they're growing tomatoes and peppers in their basement. And the grow lights set off the local police department because the legality of the state that they live in. And, um, you know, in came the raiders. So... And they ended up, you know, suing the living shit of the local police department over that. But we had to, like, you know, testify, well, not testify, but, like, submit evidence to the court that we had sold the system and that they were completely legit and, you know, that we had absolutely zero evidence of any. Yeah, like, submit an affidavit, like a sworn statement saying, I, you know. Yeah, just I, a sworn statement saying, here's the interactions I with them. This is what they Steve swear that I sold them this for, you know, growing plant you know like non illegal yeah. well i'm probably not the best person for that one but <laughs> <laughs> like sure you didn't <laughs> okay pal yeah <laughs> well yeah anyway on, on that note i actually didn't uh, we 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 had the highest bid in a house yesterday and and got denied the house sale because i'm not a trump supporter so that was fun so that was my latest uh, dreadlock discrimination story yeah, well, there's there's a lot of fishy stuff going on right now with the housing market. There's like that well, what uh, black uh, if there's black guard or whatever that's buying up houses at like forty to fifty percent over asking price, and they're just like buying up properties. They're buying up like a trillion dollars worth of properties. The uh, I'll tell you, Oklahoma is a shit show right now. We've been trying to find a place since February and or trying to purchase a place since February. Like I'm not talking about rent. I'm talking about buy a fucking house, and it's been a fucking shit show. So yeah, man, it's uh, I think there's a big inflation event coming for sure. Obviously, oh, yeah. the bubble is about to pop, and yeah. it's gonna happen because look, look at it this way: once they evict everybody, there's gonna be a housing glut, so they have way too much inventory. You know. It is what it is. Or they're going to have to not evict everybody. So they're going to have to pick one or the other. It's what's going to happen. And that's going to fuck up the economy. But they, if there's an industry that needs to be heavily regulated immediately to save the country, it's 
it's it's the housing market because what's currently going on is just pure insanity. It's worse than 2008 by a large margin. It's just pure insanity with no logic to it at all. It's gonna pop hard, and and you know, I don't know if the U.S. is gonna recover the second time. You know how I managed to not stress about the insignificant worries of mankind i just think about the impending doom that's coming in like 2024 2025 with the uh magnetic solar cycle switching and all the solar storms potentially hitting the earth and just knocking out all the infrastructure that's facing the sun say goodbye to your bitcoin your fucking bank account you know your car doesn't start anymore (laughs) value bullets and seeds everything else is useless yep that's why that's why i made my for years ago i made my my uh my drunk buying habit when i get drunk and and want to buy shit online i buy seeds and ask anyone that's ever lived with me i have a stupid large collection of seeds from all over the world. Um, and that's my thing, because at the end of the day, that's what's, if shit really did hit the fan, ammo and seeds is what's gonna get you by. You can trade it, yep. and you can grow stuff, you can grow medicine, you can grow food, you can, you know, that's what's gonna get us through whatever. And it could be an asteroid, it could be whatever it is that, you know, shit hits the fan scenario, like that. that's what's gonna let us live, you know? Yep, that's what's gonna lead to our survival. At least personal survival. <laughs> what a, maybe that's a great question. What do you like to grow in your vegetable garden? Tell us what type of varieties of stuff. Is there anything that you really oh, like? I just I got a huge vegetable garden going right now. I've actually got a bed that I built out of old, uh, an old fence for my neighbor. So I upcycled and like repurposed the cedar fencing into a, a bed. And that's a nice big, um, that's probably only like a, I say big, but you know, I, I live in town. So it's like a 10 by 20 uh, plot right there. And then I got a couple of those uh, birdies, steel raised garden beds, um, set up a couple of those, one next to the garage, next to the blackberries and the roses and everything. And uh, I've got like my herbs and stuff in there, you know, my basil, my um, oregano, thyme, all the, all the classics. I uh, got some maestro peas going in there next to the herb garden. And in the back garden, I've got all my pe- peppers and tomatoes. And we're probably going to end up doing a bunch of carrots and like uh, some radishes in there. And then behind the beds, we have some, uh, we've got like a whole uh, potato patch going. And then behind that, this weekend, I'm going to go pick up a truckload of uh, of soil and mulch, and I want to do like a pumpkin patch back there in the in the far back next to my alley. That's awesome, man. If you uh, need some giant pumpkin seeds, you, you still got before about, you still got about another two weeks to plant for giant pumpkins to still be in the competition uh, finishing time. Um, but if you need any seeds, man, I have a pretty good selection of of 1800 pound plus seeds oh nice yeah i don't know if i want to grow anything that big i'm probably going to do like mostly like uh pie pumpkins and stuff like that stuff that will actually consume and use like i wouldn't know what to do with like a 
thousand plus pound pumpkin. What you do is you cut a hole in the top and you make it a boat for your kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Mr. Green Jeans had to take off, but uh, feel free to email him <clears throat> at mrgreenjeansgarden.gmail uh, if you guys are interested in some seeds. He uh, actually does a lot of my back crossing. So when I get some cool stuff, I send it to him. He does some pheno hunting for me because he has more room and time than I do usually with all my travels uh, and then sends me the best stuff. He usually pheno hunts a couple of, you know, three to five good males uh, and a couple of females and then sends me the best of the best. Um, so very much appreciative of him and all the work he does. And, uh, you know, if you're in a, in a tough spot or a veteran or something, he's a, a real big uh, fan of helping out the vets and stuff like that so feel free to reach out to him he's a, a really good guy and just a super nice guy man like every time i go to la me and him and one of our other friends hang out and the two of them always end up having a jam session playing guitars and shit and he's just a cool dude he's been around a long time he's you know helped make cherry bomb and white wizard and a bunch of other uh famous california stuff so and he's also is preserved a lot of the old stuff too he has a strain called wayback jack which is just a back cross of some old um or that uh, jack career cut that he was talking about which is basically just a refresh on the genetics um so super cool on that as well and um yeah just a cool guy um so uh what about you uh what are you working on i guess in the next little bit i know you you got some different stuff going on uh, or maybe you don't want to talk about it which is fine too but um one thing i'd really like a, to do is I would like to make a feminized uh, lemon G and I would like to, I'm not sure which way I want to go yet. Uh, I messed with it with some reversal stuff, not with a whole great deal of success, but I haven't really spent the time to drill down on it and master that, you know, the techniques and what each cultivar likes to be reversed, which ones I have that can be reversed and which ones, you know, are just not worth it maybe. Um, but I would really like to add some, some dense, more dense structure to the lemon G that I have. And I would like to use that, uh, that slurricane cut because it has super dense buds. It's almost like you, you know, like you grew it with Paclo or something like you could you drop the nug on the table and you hear it, you know, it's like a clunk. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to combine the two if I can and preferably in a feminized, you know, because, well, I would have to it would have to be feminized because they're both female cuts that I have. But uh, either that or, you know, breed like a, an F2 or something and then do a back cross or, you know, there's there's ways, but I would just like to. Uh, to go with the feminized route, see what I come up with. So uh, how have you found, uh, maybe what's your opinion on the Oklahoma market? You've had a, a bit of experience in a couple of, you know, I guess you're on what year? Three, two, three, two, two, two. Yeah. So, so um, what, yeah, what's your overall opinion on the Oki market? You, you've had a chance to kind of experience some others as well and travel a bit. Uh, I think where I, we hung out somewhere. I feel like it was Vancouver. But someone told me it wasn't Vancouver. It was somewhere else the other day. Where did we hang out? And we were like on that porch and we got super fucked up and we had a good time. Oh, I, were we, are you talking about when we were hanging out in the, uh, like a rental in the apartment. Rhino district? Maybe that's what it was. I think we were hanging out in the Rhino district and we went and we walked to the, uh, the apartment, to the Colorado, uh, 
uh, the, the market, the Denver market, and we got uh, those pizzas and everything, and they had that clam yeah. bar there and all the, the bakery and everything. Hell yeah. Yeah, I love love Colorado, man. Anybody hasn't a chance to get out there, definitely check it out. Uh, definitely probably one of the better um, one of the better weed scenes for sure. And also really nice because you could go smoke in nature, man. You, if you want to like be able to go and buy a joint and then like not see a human the whole rest of the day, that's the place to do it. I don't know of any other state. I'm sure there's other states you can do it, but certainly the easiest state where you can like go from dispensary to no humans immediately. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, man. There, <laughs> there's some pretty remote places in Oklahoma. <laughs> like, <laughs> true. I'll give you that. There, there's some places the only human you're gonna see is for like 60 miles is at the dispensary. <laughs> <laughs> it's also true. And it, it does, you know, it's funny to me. Uh, I'm wearing, I'm looking at possibly temporarily working at a place where they have hurricanes here soon and. Um, during hurricane season, which is not particularly my favorite thing to think about, but um, I ha- riding on a hurricane might be one of the few natural disasters I ha- I've experienced. Hurricanes, wildfires, floods, like <laughs> ice storms, snowstorms, blizzards. I think yeah, that I and a volcano. Uh, uh, that and a volcano are the two I got left on my checklist. You know? <laughs> well, what's your what, what what kind of SOP are you going to come up with for hurricanes? So this is what we did for Puerto Rico. Uh, I was working with Eco Cotivos in, in Puerto Rico. And what we did was we built a whole um, wall around the, the greenhouse facility of um, uh, shipping containers. And that was where we did our processing, our drying. The workers would work in, in the AC to get out of the sun and all that stuff. Um, and then in the, in the center of the box was the greenhouses, right? So you, you grow the plants in there and then you process them on the, the rim, right? And you have the nursery in there and the yeah, clone yeah. room and all that stuff. And then when the hurricanes come, we would take the pots off uh, out of the greenhouse and put them into the, the shipping containers, kind of as temporary place to put them, and then de-skin the greenhouses and let the winds blow through. The problem we had was Maria uh, ripped the shipping containers off the four-inch bolts and rolled them through the greenhouse. <laughs> so the greenhouse frame was wrapped around the shipping container like thread around a piece of like a stick so that didn't work yeah. but again that was a category five hurricane that's not really you know, fuck all you can do about that one yeah it's like how do you prepare for that <laughs> fucking drag everything down to the bunker boys <laughs> i'll find a pic of the girl hold on i took a pic like right before maria hold on it was uh i'll find it here it was all dual root zone it was set up real nice it was right before we put the skin on i just gotta find the photo on my pictures here but it was a super cool facility like a lot of thought went into it and and trying to make it work where it was but it just got annihilated you know and you know it's part of the growing in the caribbean right like it's it's part of the gamble with getting involved with any you know anything on barbados or saint vincent or jamaica or puerto rico or or the Virgin Islands or anything like that, like, you know, sooner or later, eventually it's going to fuck you, right? And it's just, it's a matter of when and being able to, you know, design with that in mind, being able to repair the facility afterwards and then, you know, do something about it. Um, God, I can't find this photo. I'll find it eventually here. Um, Give me a minute. But um, 
Yeah, I think I posted it on Reddit too. Maybe I'm gonna find it easier there. Um, but um, yeah, so definitely something that that can be done. But um, you know, in fact, there's a lot of aquaponic facilities that feed resorts and do the the mint production for the mojitos and the lettuce production for the salads and all of the the different you know high turnover crops that they keep at resorts. In fact, I've worked at a couple of different facilities. Uh, or consulted for a couple of different facilities that were directly supplying um, various resorts. That's really cool. Yeah, you've, you've had, man, I don't know if you really appreciate how interesting of a life you've had. I know you're just kind of like, hey, man, I'm just getting by. I'm just doing what I need to do to get through life. This is This is it. This is what I do. But like, You've been all over the fucking place. You've met all sorts of people and uh, gotten to be in facilities that most people can't even like fathom with like, you know, thousands of cannabis plants and, you know, all sorts of cool equipment, millions of dollars worth of equipment and stuff like that. On that note, one of the cooler ones, one of the newest tours we posted on my YouTube channel, if anyone wants to check it out, we just toured one of the only, one of three legal growth facilities in Texas. Uh, I got called down there to help this guy out for a minute on some of the problems he was having. And um, uh, we got to meet at the um, uh, a Lucky Leaf Expo. In fact, I'll be speaking at the next Lucky Leaf Expo on July 9th um, in Dallas, Texas. Um, so if you were looking to, to come out and meet me or come out and talk about aquaponics, you want to hang out, um, you can come meet me over in Dallas. Uh, we'll be down there um, talking about aquaponic cannabis production, uh, both for hemp and retail uh, stuff. I know Texas is slowly moving ahead, you know, slowly but surely in that direction. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun. I know we spoke last time in Austin uh, a couple and in, in May, which was a lot of fun and a really big really good time. Uh, there's there's quite a big turnout down there, bigger than I think what I was expecting for Texas, especially given the, the plague and everything else going on. So I'm super excited to um, to see everybody down in Dallas. So uh, definitely check that out at the Lucky Leaf Expo. But um, I forget where I was going with that. Uh, you, one you were talking about seeing one of the only legal grows in Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just just the, you know, I guess I am lucky in that regard that I do get to get to see a lot. I got a chance to see Embark's facility before they opened to the public. Yeah, you're, you're complaining about being discriminated about those dreadlocks, but, you know, they open a lot of doors yeah. for you. They, they definitely <laughs> open more doors than they close, and the doors they close are from assholes anyway. <laughs> but uh, what uh, what advice do you have, I guess, maybe for people that are looking to get into the Oki market or, 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 you know, have heard about it or thinking about coming out here? You, you're you uh, definitely someone that caught it a little bit about halfway through the, the growth of it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, I, I mean, it's a great place to be. It's Oklahoma, though. So it's, um, you know, not one of the more wealthy states in the nation. So there's that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, desolate areas, so there's that. You know, it's you know, it's not all roses. It's a, it's definitely an adjustment to probably wherever you might be living at, especially if you're living in like a populated area in Colorado or something like that, and you're looking to just break into a new market that's not so saturated. Uh, well, Oklahoma's 
definitely not saturated yet but it's it's just there's not a whole lot of people there period um there's just there's there's a lot of retailer like dispensaries but there's like not a lot enough good grower i would say 10 to 15 percent of the market here is actually would fly on most of the west coast so like it's not yeah up to the same quality yet well you know there's those growing pains a lot of drama yet and a lot of uh people who are still getting by on um you know what they claimed to have accomplished or you know uh what what they said they did in another state like getting in the door based off of uh supposed experience and then really not living up to their their own hype i see a lot of that a lot of uh you know uh lead grower changeover (laughs) and it's not always because the guy running it is an asshole like uh those guys that you got me in contact with, uh, they were having a lot of problems, you know, and I won't name names or anything, but they were having a lot of problems with uh, one of the grows that they had under them and who was managing it. <laughs> it was just a lot of drama for them. And uh, that guy, <laughs> I had a long conversation with him. It was pretty funny. Apparently the guy who fucked up their grow basically moved down the street and opened up a competitive uh, grow. I was like, oh, okay, so he's just he's a couple doors down now. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. That's... He'll go fuck that up over there, too. <laughs> but the number one thing I see, though, going to these is, is owners that don't want to, like, spend a little bit of money, a little bit of money now to fix a problem long term, right? They'll, they'll, they'll fuck around for three or four runs fighting something or, or trying to address something rather than spending an extra 15 to 20 percent on the first time and just doing it right and being done yeah. with it like that's the number one thing that's like incredibly frustrating is trying There's to a lot like, of half kind of like people not understanding that they need to like purchase sops like that's a separate thing <laughs> like people not understanding that like these things took years of refining and work and experience and know-how and the death of lots of other people's plants before I was involved to actually achieve them and that they're not just something you can give out willy nilly. Um, it's something else that I often, you know, I'll, I'll give people a consulting price and then a price for their SOPs and they're like, well, why is it separate? And it's like, because it took a lot of time to formulate. <laughs> There's a lot of man hours that went into this. Yeah. Like it's not, would you go buy a fighter aircraft and not have like a mechanic crew? No, like, of course you wouldn't. It's just goofy. I don't understand. Um, but it happens, you know, and, you know, so many people are like, oh, it's a weed. Well, no, actually, it's actually pretty hard to grow really high quality cannabis. You have to really know what you're doing. You can get a harvest with just about anything. You can take a plant, throw it in like, you know, a mixture of piss and water and probably get, you know, a flower off of it that's, you know, quote unquote smokable. But there's a difference between that and actually probably, you see this all the time with aquaponics, right? You, you get all these new aquaponic cannabis growers, but if you actually compare them to like the size and the results that we get, it's not often less than 25% of the yield per, you know, per the same three month growth period uh, per square foot. It's, it's not even close, right? Because they're so stuck on this whole lettuce mentality of just trying to get the harvest 
which in lettuce, it doesn't matter, but in cannabis, it shows really hard immediately if you did it right. You know, the flower structure, the size, the yield, the smell, the taste, all the things. Hey, Captain420, you just missed him. Uh, uh, Mr. Green Jeans was here, the cherry bomb guy. Uh, you were just talking about him yesterday or the day before over on Fumi's show. Uh, I was kind of hoping you'd pop on here. We we just uh, just desynced just just a little bit. Yeah, I um, it's it's funny. One one of the first things I definitely recommend to people who are like getting into growing, you know, because there are a lot of new people getting into it now, is uh, if you can try not to spend money on genetics right away you know get a friend to give you some beans or something like that get some tips and just you know take a stab at it before you go uh blowing your load especially on on the genetic material i think it is as valuable as i think that having good genetics is when you're first learning uh, don't go spending a couple hundred bucks on a pack of beans. You know what I mean? Because it's just, you're probably going to end up uh, very frustrated or angry at the end of the day. Because uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. There's there's another guy I work with who I kind of took under my wing. You know, like, I you know, I told, I'm not really open about it at work, obvious for obvious reasons. And, um, you know, you can always sniff out who you know who's cool and who's not and this guy uh i could tell you know he, he was a smoker and everything he's mentioned it before so i was like hey why you uh why are you wasting all your money buying it <laughs> it's like why don't you just fucking grow your own and he's like oh well geez i, I never thought about it and he's he's pretty he's young he's still in his 20s so i was like well you know it's not it's really not that hard you do a couple things you do this you do that and he started doing a lot of his own research so he was definitely interested and eager to learn and everything which is good like i've i've taught a lot of people who it's just like in one ear out the other or they don't really want to uh like you said put in the the resources that it requires to actually pull off a good harvest like they're like ah yeah whatever you know i'll just use whatever i got I'll fucking go buy the miracle grow or I'll, you know, and it's just like, well, you know, you, you're going to get, <laughs> you get what you pay for basically. But this one kid, uh, he, he sent me some, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, he sent me some pictures the other day, you know, and he sent me several pictures now. He's like, oh what's what deficiency is this what's wrong with it now and i was like uh well you know what what did you add what are you doing for your nutrition are you bottle feeding or are you you are you mending your soil are you using compost like what's going he's like oh i just used worm castings i was like yeah you might want to check the npk value of those worm castings or the source of them because a lot of bulk castings you might buy or just the worms have just been fed like shredded newspaper or garbage or whatever it's not like quality inputs it's not like making your own castings at home you know from your kitchen scraps it's like oh yeah well that's probably it then i don't have any nutrient 
I don't have one deficiency. I've got them all. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I was like, aren't you, aren't you glad now that I gave you some seeds and I told you not to buy some right away? He's like, yeah. <laughs> no, it's definitely like if you're just starting to grow, go get a bread and butter strain off of one of your friends. It's going to definitely perform well and not act out on you and not harm on you and not cause you a bunch of headache. Uh, and, and go that route, because if you don't, you're going to end up, you know, you, you don't even know if like there's just some issue with the genetics that you have that's causing you to think that you're doing something wrong and you're not doing anything wrong at all. In fact, yeah. I've seen that before with newer growers. Um, other times you can get something that's awesome, you know, but you absolutely can have these these extra barriers that just don't quite make sense uh, or just aren't needed for newer growers. Yeah, and that that's kind of like a completely unknown when you're just buying a a seed pack off a website based off of the name because <laughs> that's what a lot of new growers end up doing oh what's the name is it something that i'm familiar with or something that sounds just sounds cool or sounds good you know that's i got my my triple male cat packs for the people that remember that joke <laughs> I, I missed that one but i'm sure there's oh, a no, good there story behind it Calculator was going off about some three male couple baby thing. So we were joking that we were going to sell uh, triple male seed packs and call them calculator packs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I just don't understand why people want to hate on other people. I'm just fucking stupid, at least for, for who they're dating or loving or whatever. Yeah, who gives a shit? Seriously. As long as uh, no animals or children are being hurt, I, I don't care what people right do. especially children animals <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah um so uh i guess is there uh, anything else you want to cover before we wrap things up you know there's always something but nothing that i can recall off the top of my head right now you know it's we, we could sit here and talk for freaking hours and hours dude i could pick your brain about all kinds of things and probably a lot of things that we wouldn't we wouldn't even want to you know, put on a stream. Did you have any other questions you want to ask before we wrapped up? No, I think I think that's good, man. I just uh, hope you keep in touch more. And I know I need to. Uh, that's on me too. That's all good, man. Am I lagging or is it you lagging? Uh, I'm not sure. Know. It might be you. You were lagging a little bit earlier. Yeah, my internet out here is not always the best, especially close to midnight. So. All right. Well, uh, I will let you go. I want to tell everybody how to find you and uh, how they can find out more uh, if they want to follow you. I, I usually try to make sure that people don't find me, but, you know, I, I got a couple social media That's accounts here and there that I barely check. <laughs> I'm on Instagram. Jeez, uh, you know what? I actually, it's probably a bad recommendation because I got a new phone and I haven't even installed it yet. And it's probably going to be like pulling teeth to get me to install it again. I'm I've like sworn off social media in general, man, and I'm just so much better off mentally, you know. And I, I it's I'm not wasting time bickering with other people online about shit that doesn't really matter. But they're wrong, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? 
Um, you guys can find, uh, hold on, let me make sure I pull this up because I wanted to not get it wrong here. Um, you can find Marty at AP Meds. Uh, you can find our class at apmjclass.com. I'm going to make sure I get the account right. You can find Mr. Green Jeans at Mr. Green Jeans Garden at IG uh, or on Instagram. Uh, you can find myself, Poet Ponics, on Instagram, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all the things. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Next week. Okay. Next week's guest will be Chris Trump. Uh, he'll be talking to us about a bunch of the cool new stuff that he's been doing. He also has a cool new class. I will be up at the Oklahoma class that he's teaching on. He's doing a KNF cannabis class with Wendy Kornberg and I forget the other presenter, but he's awesome as well. Um, I'm just really tired. Um, but uh, you can check them out uh, in September. If you're interested in that, please check it out. Uh, and then uh, I know they're doing both in-person and online ticket sales. So I think that there's a limit on the in-person and then they kind of have overflow for the online um, or, you know, I might be misquoted, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. So you can definitely check that out. And um, I'll be helping film for Chris. So that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, and then uh, you guys can find me um, about a month from now in, in, uh, in Dallas. We'll see you guys there at Lucky Leaf Expo. And we'll be back again next week with, um, with Chris Trump at the normal time. Uh, we might start a little bit later next week. I think we might start, uh, we're, we're gonna probably push the show back about an hour <coughs> at some point here soon. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, in order to help facilitate things, it Get seems like move. Yeah, <laughs> we get more viewers later in the evening. So we're gonna stick with that. And then also um, it's a little easier for Marty if we start a little later. So. Uh, a lot of you guys know Marty has to go handle some some family stuff. You can kind of handle that beforehand and and uh, not after well, if we start the show a little bit later. So we're going to try and shift the show just a little bit later than usual, except for maybe an exception here or there for East Coast speakers. So, alrighty, uh, thanks everybody for watching. We'll see you guys again next week and um, and take it easy.